Tailgate Talks powered by the nation. You're listening to episode 164. We've got a good one for you guys this week. We did our own little basketball preview, me and Dustin, 10 questions about this upcoming basketball season. But now that we've seen the basketball team play, I know it's only three games against lesser opponents. We're going to have a new member of the nation, Emery Lita, join us to talk about this Texas Tech basketball team, what we've seen so far, and preview their journey uh, in the Maui Invitational that's set to tip off Monday. So uh, we're looking forward to that. But before we get into it, make sure you're following us on Apple and Spotify. Give us those five-star ratings, five stars for the tailgate. If you listen to us on Apple, hit us with a review there. Also, follow our social media accounts. You know, Twitter survived, it looks like. So give us a follow there at tailgate underscore talks. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. Also, give our YouTube channel a follow. We'll be posting this full interview there for you to to watch so you can see our beautiful faces as we discuss the basketball team we'll also post little clips from time to time uh so follow that youtube channel also uh email us at tailgate at gmail.com if you have anything to add to the tailgate any questions anything like that shoot us an email there so with all of that said let's go ahead and get into our texas tech basketball preview uh, with emory lita we're gonna start this thing off right all right well texas tech basketball is off to a three and zero start this season as we are set to play in the Maui Invitational that tips off on Monday. Uh, me and Dustin, we kind of did our own little preseason preview. We talked 10 questions, but we thought we'd wait until we get to see Texas Tech actually play before we get an expert on to talk to us. Uh, and luckily, the nation has a new basketball analyst to come on. And so we've got Emory Lita joining the tailgate today. Emory, how you doing, man? Doing great, man. It's nice to be on. It's nice to be here with the nation, kind of getting started with that. It's something I've been looking forward to for quite some time now, and I'm excited to get going with that. But yeah, getting started to talk some tech basketball. I mean, it's been an interesting start to the season so far. Obviously, coming in Mark Adams' second year, we've got basically a whole new team at this point. So I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing how Maui goes. Yeah, this is going to be a, a good test for us. We'll kind of understand more about this team after this tournament, but we are three games into this season so far. So uh, what are three takeaways you have kind of early on this season? I know like the opponents aren't uh, that tough by any means, but uh, now that you've actually got to see the product on the floor, uh, what are some of the takeaways you have? Yeah, I think kind of the first thing that really just sticks out to me is this team composition is completely different than last year. It's a whole new yes. rotation. You've got two guards and Davion Harmon and Pop Isaacs at the backcourt that really honestly could work straight offense. I mean, we'll get into the Pop Isaacs turnover talk, but certainly yeah. at a minimum, he looks comfortable in the half court and kind of making those decisions, even if sometimes they aren't the right one. And obviously, Davion Harmon, a lot's been made about his confidence but you don't really have like the versatility in the wings that you had last year so I think it's like kind of looking at just different rotations and how that's played along I think that the biggest thing would be just it's a completely different lineup you're gonna have to make kind of different personnel decisions I think over the course of the season we're gonna see a lot of kind of different decisions from Mark Adams and maybe last year when he ran one of those like three week lineups with like an Adonis Arm, um, Davion right. Warren, Terrence Shannon now suddenly you're having to kind of play with a different scheme there so that's one thing. I think the second thing that I'm really impressed with is the spacing offensively, like yeah. bringing in guys like Kerwin Walton, bringing in Pop Isaacs, who has like unlimited range. Even the guys like Lamar Washington, we've seen a little bit of that shooting ability, Demarion Williams. I mean, that spacing for Tech so far this season has been really good. And the percentages might not bear it out quite yet, but I think that you look like as an offense, the team looks so much better in the half court when it comes to being able to get open three-point looks with confident shooters. So I think for me, the second thing that I would say was just the, the spacing was really good. And then the last thing, kind of an individual thing, but Davion Harmon, I mean, he looks so good, so so yeah. composed so far. Yes. Like I came into the season, I had a little bit of hesitancy in terms of giving him the full keys. I know that's kind of been what the program was looking to do from the get-go, but man, through three games, he looks like he is 
picked up where he left off at Oklahoma and Oregon. He looks very comfortable, hasn't made a lot of mistakes in the half court. The offense, you could say one thing about his shooting ability might not be as good as like a Pop Isaacs, but it's still good enough. The driving ability is there. The passes, he makes good decisions. I mean, everything you ask for offensively and defensively, I mean, he's got to be one of the best point of attack defenders of the conference so far. Certainly the best guard defender on this team. I mean, Davion Harmon, he'll go, this team will go as far as he takes you. And so far with the way the offense is looking, I think it looks really promising for him. Yeah, I like all those points. Dustin, before you get on to the the next questions, kind of throw this over to you. And, and uh, since, you know, we got to go to a couple of these games, what have you seen uh, early on here that, that you've taken away from this team? Yeah, I like what we're doing offensively. Kind of like Emory said, we have better spacing. And it doesn't seem like we have sacrificed defense because I guess that's just what Mark Adams does with those offensive players and that spacing. So I really like what we've seen so far. I think the freshmen are light years ahead of what we think of freshmen already. Um, they're so far ahead of the curve, I think. So that's amazing to see. Like It doesn't stick out to me that they're freshmen. They fit right in really well. Um, and we're kind of seeing – we talked before about how uh, – Fardaw's injury could actually give us some opportunity to get these guys some playing time, these freshmen and these wing players, and see who can step up, where some deficiencies might be. And I think that's really playing out for us. And really didn't get a good uh, come to Jesus meeting, you know, in Maui. These freshmen got to play, you know, multiple top 25 teams possibly. So I like what I've seen so far. All right. Yeah. I'm with y'all on that one. I'll let Dustin kind of take it from here as we get into the actual players. We've got a little breakdown of them. So Dustin, kick it over to you. Yeah, so Emory, let me get your thoughts on just some players, some analysis, some thoughts, eyeball tests, numbers, whatever you got for us on these guys. But we'll start with the returners, the guys we know that came back for us. Kevin O'Banner, Daniel Bacho, and KJ Allen. Um, I know the hype around was around Bacho, and I think that's kind of playing out. But go ahead and start wherever you want with those three guys. Yeah, so I think I'm going to start first off with K.J. Allen because I think coming into the season, people probably expected the least out of him among the returners because you have right. Bacho who's going to slide into the starting spot with uh, Fardell Zaymak going down and also just kind of the impressiveness that he showed in the offseason. And you had Kevin O'Banner. But really for K.J. Allen so far this season, he's factored into Tech's rotation. Yes. We've seen in all three games, Mark Adams has gone to him as a substitute within the first six minutes of the game. He's been someone that they've been comfortable playing with for long stretches. And I really think he's impressed me a lot when it comes to his switchability defensively. That was something, if you remember back to the Kansas State game yeah. last year when he got some run, he was really good on the offensive glass, really good at getting boards. But, man, they could punt him <laughs> on those switches, and it just made it really difficult. And so, so far this season, he's definitely leaner. You could see where he's put in that work on the offseason, kind of get himself in better shape. You see the earlier turns on that very promising. And I think it's helped them a lot defensively. Offensively, I think there's still a bit of work to be done. I'm not sure exactly how he's going to fit in in a role. We haven't really seen him expand the game up to the perimeter much. I know the three-point shot something that he's been working on some in the offseason, but I don't know yeah. if it's something that's ready to be translated in games yet. Yeah. And it, he's a good finisher at the rim. We've seen the dunk highlights. We've seen everything from last chance to UD, even some of the stuff last year. But I still think in terms of his actual offensive moves and kind of his bag, so to speak, in the, yeah. in the interior, could use a little bit of work. But so far, I mean, the defensive switchability has made him really a lot more playable. And I think the rebounding is going to go a long way. So that's K.J. Allen. I've been impressed I've got with him. A quick kind of follow-up on K.J. We Kind of after last season and looking ahead to the roster, once we realized he was going to stay, and kind of before the season, we are talking about him kind of in that Marcus Santos Silva role last year where – you know, you didn't really rely on Silva to score, but his switchability on defense really elevated what we thought of Marcus Santos Silva last year. Do you think that's a possibility for KJ, or is that still something that uh, is going to take a little bit more work? I mean, obviously, Santos Silva was, you know, uh, a super senior at that point, so he had a lot more experience, but just your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think the certainly that's sort of the upside for KJ is to fit, fill in with that Santos Silva type role. I will say... For, with Santos Silva, what he had in terms of just his ability to anticipate drives and be right. a really good team defender, I think KJ has a lot of sort of the physical attributes. And I think at times you see him put it together, but I still think there's a little bit of ways to go 
on the kind of basketball IQ side of things, anticipating drives, being in the right place as a help defender. Those will come with time. I think eventually you could see maybe KJ go into that role. And I think like you can see him play in that role, certainly. But I mean, I think, but there's a good similarity between the two of them, though, in terms of Santos Silva between his second to last year and last year in college, kind of his first year at Tech and last year, really working on his uh, lateral quickness over the offseason. And that allowed him to be more playable. And it was key. Tech was able to run two big lineups because Santos Silva and Bryson Williams both worked on their lateral ability compared to where they were the year before. And I mean, I think that's something to be really looking forward to with KJ because I think he's shown a lot of progress in that in that category. Agreed. Agreed. Was there anything else you wanted to touch on with O'Banner and Bacho from what you've seen on them so far at the start of the season? Yeah. So with O'Banner, you're talking about a guy that obviously came into tech last year known as a three-point sniper, like 46% as last year, Oral Roberts. I mean, Florida with 50-49, we saw what he did in the tournament. Last year, the shooting slump has been well-documented by pretty much everyone, but he found other ways to contribute. He was good inside. He kind of developed himself as a rebounder. A lot of things to like in that sense already this season. We've seen the three-point shot only attempted seven so far, which is a little bit it's surprising to me, but the interior work continues to be really good. His offensive rebounding numbers have been good so far through three games. I feel like he's kind of taken a little bit of a step forward when the ball's in his hand is just in terms of being patient. It's sort of kind of a small step forward. And obviously the two turnovers at the end of the La Tech game make me look a little bit silly saying that. But I would say like as a whole through the first two, two and a half, almost three games in the half court, you saw a lot of positivity there. And I think that's something that O'Banner has been kind of working on. Because last season, it was one of the things where if you, he took more than one dribble, it was a little bit right. sketchy as to what happens from yeah. there. So I think O'Banner's kind of taken a step forward. I think it's hard to say exactly how the shots look, only seven attempts. But I mean, you know what he'll give you on any given night. He's a good rebounder, can be a good shooter, can space the floor. Right. Defensively, he's improved a lot since he came to Tech, and I think that that's fared more. And then Daniel Bacho, I mean... The Bacho, man, you got to say, Daniel Bacho through three games looks every bit as good as people have hyped him up to be. Obviously, right. the offensive end looks to have taken another step forward. In the short roll, he looks really good there. He's good at setting screens. He's worked well. And his playmaking, I mean, we saw it a lot in the first couple of games, certainly um, in the season opener where he was really good, had those four assists. He has, hasn't put up an assist since then, but he's making good reads in that kind of half-court in those half court opportunities. And so I think that's just the maturity of Bacho defensively. I mean, the guy's so good at switching on to the to yeah. offensive players and guards. Like we saw it last year against Tennessee, against West Virginia, wherever he got a lot of run, you could just see what he could do there. And he's a really good run protector, probably the best that Tech has had since Tariko. And so, I mean, Bacho continues to exceed expectations from what I think people had him doing last year. This year though, he's got a lot of expectations within the fan base and, I got to say, so far, it looks like he's living up to them. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, he had six blocks in the Louisiana Tech game, which was the most since uh, Tariq Owens had eight in a game. So, yeah, he's he's definitely lived up to the hype so far. Uh, the next group is the transfers, the new guys coming in. We grouped Jalen Tyson in with that because we didn't get to see him play for us last year despite the early transfer. Uh, you've obviously already liked what you're seeing from Davion Harmon. Uh, then we got Williams and, and Kerwin Walton there. Uh, to kind of fill out that transfer group. We're not going to put in Fardaz just yet because we're not going to see him for the time being. Uh, but if you want to, you know, discuss him, you can. But what are you seeing from these transfers so far here in the early season? Yeah, so real quick on Fardaz, I think that him coming back whenever he comes back is going to be critical, even if he's not playing as big a role as people thought he would. Just him being able to be in the rotation to give you another yeah. big, to be able to run what you want to with those two big lineups is going to, take a lot of the stress off of Bacho to avoid foul trouble. And I think that's going to be critical. But looking at the transfers that we've actually seen play, I think I've already said a lot on Davian Harmon, but just I think your team goes as he goes pretty much. Like yeah. If we can see Davion Harmon put up consistent 15 points per game nights, efficient ball handling, the sky's the limit for Tech. And I think that's been pretty clear so far. Um, looking at Kerwin Walton, I think is someone that I was a little bit skeptical of. Coming into the season, obviously a yeah. very good shooter at UNC. We saw a lot of potential there, but he kind of fell out of the rotation for a reason, and that was defensively. But so far, I think he's looked pretty decent on that end. I would say like you still see kind of why 
there's those limitations laterally he struggles a little bit he can be caught ball watching a little bit off the ball but still I mean I've been impressed with what I've seen on that end with Wolin so far and the other thing is he showed a decent amount of success on interior which would that be off of cuts or a little bit as a driver as well and I think that's something that maybe you didn't see quite as much on his pre-attack tape and I think that's something to be pretty um, encouraged by and certainly you'll see I think you'll see Carl Wallen factor in the rotation going forward I'm not overly high on him being able to kind of be a 30 minute per night type of guy just because of the defensive limitations right. but certainly he's looks good so far and I think the spacing's gonna be really valuable and then Demarion Williams is kind of in my opinion one of the guys that I thought got a little bit underplayed the last couple of games because if yeah. you look at what he's been doing on the court his initial three-point numbers don't really step out of you especially compared to what he did at Gardner Webb, but certainly the last couple of games, like against Texas Southern, I felt like his playmaking didn't really stand out on the stat sheet, but it's something that I think Tech could utilize at points. Um, he looks comfortable out there making decisions offensively. I think that's something with yeah. Pop Isaacs. I mean, you know, like there's going to be those sort of lumps. We saw Lamar Washington commit two fouls in 10 seconds yeah. last game. Demario Williams isn't going to make those sorts of mistakes where he just kind of plays himself out of it. And I don't know if it's good enough for him to be in the rotation. I think at this point he's kind of following. It looks like he's even on the outside looking in. And certainly defensively isn't all that great. Offensively he's not really good at driving, which is kind of important for a guard. But I think the composure and the potential shooting ability is a reason to buy on Demario Williams. And I think we'll see him at various points, and he can certainly play a role on this team. And uh, anything you wanted to touch on with Tyson or – uh, I think yeah. so far to most of the people watching, he's kind of living up to to that billing. Now, obviously, uh, his offensive numbers, I think, uh, will get higher once he gets more opportunities to shoot. But what have you seen so far from him now that we're finally get to see him in that red and black? Man, he just looks so comfortable out there. Like, that's the biggest thing with Jalen Tyson that I think is, like, really impressive. I mean, we saw him – we got to see him practice last year yeah. for – half the season, basically. He's had a full offseason in the program, which none of the other transfers can completely say. So he's already starting with a leg up there. But for the maturity for a guy that up until this point had played less than 100 minutes of college basketball, it's incredible. I mean, you look yeah. at what he's been doing offensively, starting Tech off scoring each of the first three games. He's gotten off to hot starts. He's been able to kind of pick his shots well. I think the three-point shot looks pretty good so far, and he'll be – a good floor spacer and really I mean I talked about this in the offseason one of the things that he really adds to the table is just he's able to create a shot at all three levels he can be a spot yeah. up shooter he can get to the rim he's really good at creating mid-range shots and yeah for Texas Tech for Tech we really don't have any other guy on the on the roster that can get you all three maybe Davion Harmon but I feel like Tyson's Tyson's height and sort of ability to get that off or to get the shot off with his height sort of gains even more of an advantage. You don't see that out, often out of wings. So Tyson, I really like the offensive end, but for me, the defensive end, the point of attack defense has looked really good so far. Off the ball has a little bit of lapses. I think that that's something that you're going to see with a lot of the younger players in general, like Pop Isaacs. Yeah. We'll get into kind of has that same sort of issue. But I mean, Tyson defensively had, had a number of good steals. He's been good at pushing the break. I've just been really impressed with how mature, how developed his game is so far through three games. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, I mean, very early in that first game, Dustin pointed it out to me. I think we had called a timeout or that maybe uh, there was a turnover or something and we You're looked down to the sideline. One of those freshmen. Yeah, and Tyson was coaching up either Pop or Lamar. I can't remember what freshman yeah. it was, but you could just see – the kind of leadership role that he's already taking on. And it's just kind of crazy to see that from a guy who, like you said, hasn't, hasn't played over a hundred minutes in college basketball and uh, take on that leadership role shows the buy-in that he's had to this program and having that extra, you know, semester of what that's really done for him. So yeah, impressed, impressed by the kid, just not on the court, just on the court, but off it as well. So Emery, let's talk about these freshmen. This is one of the youngest Tech teams we've had in quite some time, especially since we've kind of reemerged as being a good basketball program. And we got to rely on these freshmen too. So it's not like just one or two of them are playing some spot minutes. There's a lot of minutes for these guys. So going on the freshmen so far, we've seen a lot of pop. I think Fisher's kind of growing every day. And then Lamar and Robert Jennings. Yeah, so 
really at this point it looks like Pop's the only one of the four that's completely firmly in the rotation. We oh, saw right. we saw against Louisiana Tech, Fisher got some minute a fair ch- a good chunk of minutes in the first half, and then kind of didn't really get a ton of play later on. But certainly he's looked promising so far. Obviously, we saw the U nineteen games he played with Canada over the summer. He's been one of the most highly touted recruits the Tech has ever had. He's been one of the top recruits in his class all the way back to his first year of high school. Like Elijah Fisher is a guy that has played a lot of high-level basketball. So in that sense, he's well-developed. I think there's some other areas. I'm not sure he's used to being a complimentary player, and you can still kind of see that sometimes. He can get a little bit over-aggressive. We certainly saw at times him kind of forcing the issue a little bit too much on drives. But Certainly for Fisher, like the sky's the limit with his talent. He's the to me the most athletic guy on the team, and it's just about putting things together. Because offensively, I think we saw the three point shot. He hit one, I believe, in the LaTeX game, and he's had kind of that sort of development. I would say from when we last saw him, the shot looks a little bit more clean. The driving ability, I think, looks good. He's obviously got the burst. He can get by anyone. The flip side of right. it is. Sometimes kind of drives like a bull in the China shop, TJ, yeah. Sam, TJ Shannon syndrome. Yeah. And that can kind of put you in a tough situation because you're, it's hard to really integrate him into a lineup when he's kind of struggling in that sense. But certainly Fisher has been promising. Lamar Washington kind of goes along in the same boat. We only saw him two minutes in the LaTeX game. And that, I think, was down to at the end of the first half, he had the two turnovers that instantly got or the two fouls that instantly got on the bench. And then missed one free throw. But, I mean, the first two games for Washington, I thought were very promising. He's known as a good defender coming into yeah. the program from Arizona Conference Prep and before that in Oregon. So, like, he's obviously a guy that has a lot of chops on the defensive end. Point of attack-wise, really good at sort of guarding, I'd say, one through three, possibly up to one through four. So he's kind of one of the vintage Mark Adams guard, guard wing type of players. And so I think that's going to be important for him going forward because offensively, if he can just kind of – smooth things out a little bit, cut down on the mistakes. I think you've got a good chance at seeing Lamar Washington playing heavy minutes. Uh, Robert Jennings, similar, but I think he's got a little ways to go in terms of right. just fitting in all, both offensively and defensively. I think he's a little bit of a tweener, kind of six seven ish He's got yeah. really good build. Like He is built like yeah. a high-level D1 player, a lot of athleticism. But the flip side of it is offensively, again, not really much of a shooter. And I don't think he's really developed much as a big as of yet in terms of his offensive role. So kind of has that in-between where he kind of relies on athleticism and do a lot of what he can do offensively. And then defensively, again, just like everyone else on the all of the other young players, I think you're going to see a lot of development in season when it comes to sort of the instinctive stuff and kind of playing high-level team defense at a college level because that's stuff that most of the time doesn't come natural for freshmen. But I'm excited to see more of Jennings in these bye games. And maybe, I don't know if we'll see him a lot in Maui, but certainly in the latter half of the non-conference schedule, you could see him get some good developmental minutes and hopefully make a mark. And then I love Pop Isaacs for last because I think he's probably the guy that Tech fans have been talking about more than anyone. And I've been impressed so far. I think the shooting is... Definitely there. Like, yeah, probably the most, I'd say the most talented shooter Tech has had in, as a guard since Davide Moretti, which is not that long ago, but the last right. two seasons, like, you haven't had someone that can both hit 20 to 30 foot catch and shoot shots and also create their own shot off the dribble. So, for Pop to be able to do that pretty seamlessly is impressive. I also think as a playmaker, he's shown a lot of potential. Now, the turnovers, Got to go down, but at the same yeah. time, like they're not turnovers. I would say are indicative of like a lack of skill. Most of the time, the turnovers I've seen so far are just him kind of maybe making being a little bit too aggressive with his decision yeah. making, maybe a little Doing bit reckless. Much. And I think that go, that that can be kind of sorted out over time. But the fact is, he sees a lot of stuff. Like he's anticipated some really high level passes or a couple of skip passes. I think in the Texas Southern game in particular that really impressed me that like we haven't had guards at tech that could do that consistently in the last few years. So if he can put it together as a playmaker, I think you're going to see him just really grow. But I think the, the turnovers, I mean, they're frustrating, but I have faith that that's going to kind of correct itself over time. And defensively, I mean, the size and stature is always going to kind of be a limiting factor for him, but I do like kind of how he's been able to play 
sort of good man defense. He's got pretty good instincts for a defender. And off the ball, I would say he's just kind of struggling a little bit, which again, like you see that a lot early on in the season, especially with these younger guys, like rotations and communication isn't quite there yet. But I think so far he's not been too much of a negative defensively and offensively. I mean, so much potential like that. The shooting just is amazing to see. And it's like, it's one thing to hear it and see it on high school tape. It's another thing to see it in person, right. see it, just see what he's able to do offensively with those deep catch and shoot threes. Yeah. The, the thing that I look at with him were those two plays he made kind of down at the end of the Louisiana tech game. The one where he takes the guy drives right to the hole, gets the layup. And then the play after that, I think he creates the end one for Bacho. Uh, and back-to-back drives, and, and that's in a late game that was close uh, against a team that was competing very hard against you to make those kind of plays as a freshman. Very impressive. Um, but, you know, like you said, he has been a highly talked-about player on the Twitter because uh, Viva sent out a tweet that got a lot of people riled up. And I was just kind of curious what your thoughts are were about that because – the wording was, I think, what a lot of people took issue with when he said he's unplayable. And I think he probably meant a different interpretation of it and just came out wrong. But what were your thoughts on that tweet and and just kind of the, the discourse that happened on Twitter because of it? Yeah, so first off, I mean, I've worked with Michael Macon, who's the guy that I believe made most of the tweets that were in that yeah. thread for... I worked with them for a few years back at Viva. We actually ran the Twitter together at one point in time. And good guy. He means well. That's yeah, yeah. that's the thing. I wanna I wanna make that clear. Um and we actually took we talked about it at one point over the last week or so. I think that for the most part, the concept his ideas in that thread weren't completely like ridiculous, right. or at least in the original tweet and his subsequent replies. Because there's a implied truth there that if pop averages five turnovers a game for the rest of the season, he's probably not going to play enough to get five turnovers a game. Like that's kind of implied. And I think that like, it's obvious to pretty much anyone in the program that pop needs to kind of clean that up a little bit, but at the same time, it's not uncommon at all for true freshmen that play heavy minutes at a power five school to turn the ball over a lot. I mean, you see all the time, you see Tyrese Hunter last season who, as much as we love Pop, you have to say Hunter came into last season, at least as a pure point guard, probably is a little bit better of a playmaker than Pop in his pre-college days. And certainly I'd say Pop shooting and whatnot kind of made, bridges that gap and maybe you could argue as to whether or not he was a better prospect. But certainly as a pure playmaker, Tyrese Hunter came in as highly rated as you can. You saw yeah. several five-plus turnover games from Tyrese Hunter. He had a seven-turnover game against Tech last year. And like it's just something that people are gonna have to grow accustomed to. And I think that in terms of Viva's tweet, like first off the constant replies, I think get a little bit old. And I think that sometimes, uh, I mean, it's, it's hard to say as someone that doesn't run a brand account at the moment that kind of replies to people all the time, but I would say it's difficult to really take I think you just have to kind of take a step back there. So I think I understand what Macon was trying to do with those tweets. I don't think he was completely wrong, but at the same time, like, Pop knows as much as anyone he's got to clean up the turnovers. If he doesn't clean up the turnovers, Macon's right, he's going to be unplayable. But at the same time, like that's something that the program knows. We've seen a million times before with college players, and I don't think it's time to sound the panic button at all. Like We're three games in. There's hopefully 37 more games to be played this season. Like There's so much time for him to develop, and I think that – we're going to see that happen because like I said earlier, I'm not concerned about the turnovers in terms of the style that they're happening. Maybe he's a bit too aggressive. Maybe at times he puts himself in bad situations, but they're not turnovers that are just him being kind of either struggling as a player or him being out of his element. I think he's just trying to do a little bit too much. I think that's something that can get sorted out over the course of the next few games. Yeah, we kind of like to classify turnovers as in like a lazy turnover or a turnover yeah. where we could at least see that you're trying to do something. And in the thought, and it might have been a good thought there, but you know, for whatever reason, your teammate didn't see that coming, or or you just got a little ahead of yourself and made a turnover. But at least like you're trying to do something rather than just like giving the ball away freely. And and so I think for most part of his turnovers have been kind of that where he's just trying to force the issue, maybe forces it a little too much, but ultimately things that you can see are correctable 
especially for a guy of his talent. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing for me is like it'd be one thing if he was turning the ball over because guys were picking his pocket or he was making passes that were just objectively bad. But like that's not the case. Like he's he's making he's trying to make passes that very few guards can make. And sometimes he oversteps it. You know, like that's life. It's like if you if you place a quarterback in the NFL straight out of high school, even if he's the most naturally talented quarterback out there, he's gonna make mistakes. Because yep. you're, it's just such a different game speed. And Louisiana Tech, for example, is a good team. Like they have, they might not be as good as some of the teams you're going to face in Big Twelve or in Maui, certainly. But they're a team that has D1 level athleticism. Like they have length on the outside. Like you have to be careful with the ball in that case. And and it's lessons learned. Like I think that in general, like freshman freshman college basketball players already have kind of a big curve. But when you have to do that as a guard playing 30 minutes a night on a Big 12 team, it's going to be difficult. And I think yeah. we've just seen that so far. But again, light ball turnovers, they're turnovers that are correctable. They're turnovers that are him kind of doing too much or occasionally kind of just making the wrong read, but certainly nothing to be too concerned about. So, Henry, let's stay with the offense. We don't have to go all turnover talk. We can just go offense in general. Um, we transitioned from Barrett Peary as kind of the offensive coordinator, quote-unquote, to Steve Green from South Plains College. I work out there and have got to watch him coach for a lot of years, a lot of practices, a lot of games. And um, so I've talked a lot on here about him and what he can bring to this team and this offense. Um, do you have – any expectations of what he might do or have you been able to see anything yet of what he's trying to instill? Yeah. So I think the kind of the biggest things you're looking for in a Steve Green offense, and I don't want to say massive changes because I think a lot of what Steve Green preaches is stuff that most college basketball programs want to execute, but for whatever reason, they just aren't really taught or aren't able to run it well enough. But what Steve Green is able to do with this floor spacing and I think the biggest thing for me is the player movement off the ball and the ability to uh, utilize off ball screens to kind of use pin down stuff like that, that gets guys like pop Isaacs open. I think in the half court, that's where you really see the difference being made. And like you look at what he was able to do at South Plains with a guy like Jordan Brangers a few years ago and mm-hmm. freeing up him. I mean, there's all the reason to think that you could do similar sorts of stuff with the personnel tech has offensively. And I think it's going to take a fair bit of time to kind of get that completely gelled because you still see like the alpha, the player movement, whatnot, you see that as made a market improvement I would say from this year to last year, not having possessions where you're throwing the ball in the post, spending 20 seconds, basically running yeah. a post offense. You're also not running the three man weave that we saw for half the season <laughs> yeah. last season quite as much. Yeah. But I think there's going to be growing pains with that. And I think that it might take, a season of working with Steve Green to really sort of see the developments of it. But already, I mean, you can see a lot more off-ball screening, a lot more player movement. And I would say going forward, like one thing to watch there would just be kind of how the three-point attempt rate is going. And then also just kind of watching that, watching how players are buying into that off-ball stuff, because it's easy to preach that in theory. We see that all the time. We see college coaches there's people that compile press conferences at the introduction introductory press conferences for coaches and the key words are pace in, or pace and space yeah. i'm not steve green's offense has relied on pace at the t- in the past at times i don't think that's something in the big 12 you're going to be able to necessarily utilize a ton of but i do think you're going to see a little bit of improvement there to be fair though barrett Peary was kind of also someone that utilized a lot of pace in his offensive schemes. So yeah. I think the biggest difference is just the off-ball spacing, the player movement, the screening off the ball, I think, and also possibly using guys like Bacho in more of a facilitating role, which is interesting because, again, you're going to have your lumps here. You're going to have guys that are kind of maybe running different roles compared to what they've been doing in the past. But certainly, I mean, I think there's a lot to like about what Steve Green's done as a coach, and I'm excited to see how the offense continues to develop over the course of the year. Yep. Well, their first big opportunity to develop unfolds uh, tomorrow, Monday, as the Maui Invitational is set to tip off. Texas Tech's journey uh, tips off at 1.30 on Monday against the Creighton Blue Jays, who are currently ranked top 10 in the country. 
uh, and a really good team. But first, you know, I always thought of the Maui. Did you ever play the old NCAA video games, basketball games? And like you I would did. do a, do you do like a dynasty? And if your team got an invite to the Maui, it was like a big deal. You're like, hell yeah, I got invited to the Maui. So that's was always my thought of the Maui. It's always my favorite non, you know, early season tournament. So what does this just mean for Texas Tech as a basketball program to be in this year's Maui Invitational? Man, it's huge. I mean, yeah, like you said, I remember when I was seven, eight years old playing in CLA 09 and CLA 10, and it'd yeah. be such a huge deal. You'd have all the coaches wearing Hawaiian shirts. You'd have kind of the special edition broadcast. You have the different soundtrack being played in Maui. Like it was oh, yeah. such a huge deal. And then growing up, seeing kind of some of the fun Maui tournaments over the years. But I mean, I look at this tournament. It's a huge deal for Tech. I think you look back at this year's tournament going to Maui, next year going to Atlantis. You've played in the Jimmy V Classic twice in the last few years. Like that's as big as it gets in yep. season. Like outside of the championship or the champions classic, which you're not getting invited to because that's nope. four set teams. Yep. <laughs> and outside of like um, a couple, like maybe you could say a couple of like the CBS sports classic with Ohio state, UCLA, UNC and Kentucky, which again, four set teams like Maui battle for Atlantis, Jimmy V classic. Those are all like cornerstone college basketball yeah. in season tournaments, yeah. relevant in season games. And to be at that level as a program to where you're consistently getting those invites, it's a huge deal. Because, I mean, I can remember back to a few years ago with Tubby Smith era where you were basically playing, not to say irrelevant in-season tournaments, yeah. but there's a reason you'd be on ESPN News playing against yeah. a mid-major team in those tournaments, you know? Yeah. So I think it's a big deal for the program. It shows a lot of confidence that Tech is being placed in a marquee tournament, playing against a team like Creighton, a top-10 team, I mean, it's huge for the program, and it just continues what we've seen over the last few years. So we get Creighton first up, big matchup. We'll talk their players in just a minute, but what are your initial thoughts on Creighton as a team? It's interesting to me because this season and last season is kind of a little bit of a reversal from, I guess, typical Creighton teams in some sense because they're not as good shooting the three-pointer as I feel like some people may think they are. They're... 35% this year, 30% last year. They brought in Bayo Shireman, who we'll get into in a little bit. He's going to be a key player, just a little bit of a spoiler there. But stylistically, like they're what they've been really good at this year is being able to get good open two-point looks. Obviously, they've got a really good center. They've got a good team offense in general. And otherwise, I mean, it is a patented Greg McDermott offense, an yeah. offense that utilizes a good amount of half-court um, tempo. But the... The actual possession number doesn't really jump out to you. It's more so stylistically the way that they get into their offense. They make plays faster, very aggressive in transition. And then in the half court, they're able to get these, they get into their motion quick. And like we were mentioning with Steve Green, where it's kind of more off-ball motion, Greg McDermott's offense has always been really good at being able to set people up in that sense and having good cutters, having good action to get open three-point shooters. So I think that, again, this is another Creighton offensive team that has a lot of talent and defensively they're a team with a lot of length we saw last season kind of down the stretch they played some really good defensive basketball in the tournament again one over san diego state in an overtime game last year in the yeah. tournament pushed kansas to the brink and had a good shot at that game down in the last minute so it's a talented defensive team they returned a lot of talent from last season's squad as well so i mean there's a lot to like about this great team but really offensively the biggest thing is it's a normal Greg McDermott team, and they're going to challenge you a lot off the ball. All right, so teach us uh, about Creighton and some of the players that we got to keep our eyes out for uh, tomorrow as we uh, look on to take the Blue Jays. Yeah, so starting out with the tallest player on the team, seven foot one, Ryan Cockburner. Yeah. He is probably the single most talented big the Tech has faced. I would say in recent non-conference memory, unless I'm missing someone, or I, never mind. The Tech played Shet and Drew Timmy last year. He yeah, just comes yeah. out. So that's the game a little bit ahead of myself. But the point is, he's an extremely talented big. We saw last year he was really good defensively for that Creighton squad. He's really big, 7'1", 260. But he also switches a normal amount, I would say, for a 7-footer. But he's good at switching. They feel comfortable putting him in those switches. He plays a lot of drop coverage defensively, which means that he's able to kind of 
hunt around the rim, kind of get those shot blocking opportunities. And I think he's kind of the anchor of their defense. And offensively, he's just been ridiculously efficient so far. Eighty four percent from the rim, shooting extremely well over the course of the season. Yeah, they've relied on him a lot early on, and I think that's played paid big dividends. But Cal Porter is a guy that I think the key for beating him is going to be kind of putting him in those pick and roll situations where they're okay with switching him. So they're not going to just like straight up leave him in the paint and avoid those situations. But he's certainly someone that you could utilize and put him in those tough situations. Um, Ryan Nimhard is kind of the second guy. He's their point guard. Big stat for him so far this season, 27 assists to two turnovers. He's the brother of Andrew Nimhard, the former yep. Gonzaga guard and former Florida guard as well. One of the most talented playmakers you're going to find. Last year, Nimhard was maybe a little bit erratic with the ball at times. This season so far, he's looked really comfortable. Not really going to beat you as a shooter too much. He's only, or I think last year was only about 29% from three. He's not someone that I think is going to be a massive force spacer. And he's also not a great driver. But what he can do is just kind of play within the offense. He gets good looks for teammates. He's able to at least put some pressure on the rim. And I think that as a whole, he's just a solid offensive player. And defensively, even if he's challenged for height more than his brother was, he still has good instincts defensively and is important to what they do defensively. And so that's Nimhard. And another player that I think is really important is Bill Shireman. Like I mentioned, South Dakota State transfer, 46% from three last year. Really, really good shooting. This season, not quite as good so far. He's at 41%, I think, after three games. But certainly, Shireman's a guy that has a lot of natural talent. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Put him on the bench. Don't blame yeah. 41% on playable. But no, Shireman's a guy that has a lot of talent as a shooter, good amount of length. I mean, he's kind of your prototypical 3 and D wing that's maybe not quite as good a defense as he should be. But still, that three-point shooting, he can hit it off the dribble. He can hit it off the catch like Shireman's probably the most dangerous offensive weapon they have and then then you start getting kind of more into their um not to say the side pieces but kind of the guys that they don't really rely on quite as much Arthur Kaluma is second in the team in points so far this season he's a nice versatile wing kind of what you would expect from a Mark Adams wing except he's yeah. a Creighton um you've got Trey Alexander who is probably the best NBA prospect on their team he's 6'4 sophomore season if you watched him down the stretch of last season he grew a lot both as a secondary ball handler and defensively he's probably their best on-ball defender I would say at least in terms of guarding guarding against guards I think that's going to play right into what they're trying to do I mean he leads the team and blocks this season he's six foot four and he's also been able to have a good steal rate so far and then one more guy I want to bring up just because he might be a name that Texas Tech fans remember is Francisco Farabello Yes, TCU transfer. TCU, the TCU kid, yeah. Yeah, TCU transfer. He, well, known for... Sh- yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we need to bring out the cactuses for the... Or the cacti right. for this, just for... Just bring some cacti to Maui. See if that impacts Francisco's playing. But certainly, uh, Faravello is a guy known as a shooter throughout his career. 4 or 15 yeah. from 3 to start this season. But... He's a four spacer. He again last season Creighton shot thirty percent from three, which ridiculous for their standards. So they brought in two of the best shooters in the portal. And Fairbell hasn't gotten a ton of minutes, but I think he'll be someone that is going to be in the rotation over the course of the season. Okay. Oh yeah, great breakdown of the roster for Creighton makes it a little more scary once you start talking about it a little bit. Um, yeah. So how do you think Mark Adams in this defense tries to slow down this? this offense, especially with like a big center and then you got a couple good shooters on the outside. It feels like really good complimentary offensive basketball. What do we need to do defensively to slow them down? Well, I think first off, you can take a couple of key positives from this. Crane is not a team that gets to the foul line a lot. They're sub 300 in foul in their free throw rate. And they really don't put a ton of, ton of stress on the rim from the guards. Like if you look at how, um, Nimhard has played or how Trey Alexander has played. They're not getting to the rim a ton on drive attempts. It's a lot of off-ball cutting and a lot of running through Calcutta. So it's going to be a little bit different from some of these other teams that you might see in Big 12 play. Think of like a Baylor with uh, Flagler, Cryer, whatever, right. whatnot. They're able to – what Crane's able to do is they use a lot of player movement. Again, a lot of spacing, really efficient offense in that sense. So 
I think with Mark Adam, what Mark Adams is going to try to do, I think you're going to put a little bit of ball pressure on Nimhard, even though you don't necessarily expect him to turn over the ball. If you can get them out of sorts offensively, you can kind of make that five or seven second difference between when they're able to get into their stuff offensively, whether that be through tight off ball action or simply smothering on the ball. Like if you can do that and sort of limit the amount of time they have to get into their stuff offensively, has a bigger impact on them than some other teams that just simply rely on more ISO play, more one-on-one, more driving. So I'd say making sure to bring ball pressure, sticking tight off ball. And again, I think a lot of this game is going to come down to communication defensively because so far yeah. this season, Tech's had some lapses defensively. Yeah. They haven't been quite as crisp as, as I feel like the final score might have indicated, but certainly those two things are going to be critical, communication and kind of bring some on and off ball pressure. And also, some of those are just offensive scheming as well. Like, at the end of the day, if you give up a ton of turnovers, Creighton's not a team that turns the ball over themselves. I mean, one of them, again, we talked about Neymar being extremely reliable as a ball handler, but they simply do not turn the ball over. They have an 11.7% turnover percentage so far this season. That is pretty much as high as, or as low as anyone among all high major schools. So, Creighton doesn't turn the ball over. So, if you beat yourself, you're probably getting beat. And... I think just keeping them out of transition, keeping them from running their half-court stuff right away, and just trying trying your best to avoid defensive lapses. It's early in the season. It's also a game in Maui. might have a little bit of distraction there, but I think you're just going to have to try to do as much as you can to communicate well defensively and not beat yourself. Because Creighton, if you let them, it's just going to take advantage of that. Yeah. And I would say one more thing is if you're Daniel Baccio, Avoid fouls because <laughs> if Bacho if Bacho gets in foul oh, trouble, yeah. this this team one of the key differences from last year is you don't have the array of wings that you could just right. throw onto the bigs and double triple team whatever. You're gonna have to roll with Kevin O'Banner and KJ Allen for significant minutes if Bacho gets in foul trouble, and that would not be ideal against the big like Cal yep. Turner that has the size and kind of knows how to use it. So, yeah, again. Earlier, earlier, and I said it was important to get AMAC back just for depth purposes, regardless of how impactful he may or may not be. This game is exactly why that's the case. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's get him into foul trouble, and that might help us out a little bit. But uh, let's turn over to the offensive side of the ball. What do you think our offense needs to do uh, to attack this Creighton defense? And we saw it a couple times last year when it became shot making games. Uh, it became hard. You know, the Duke game, they didn't miss a single shot. Uh, when we got, you know, Gonzaga all of a sudden had the best shooting performance of their season against us. Uh, if Creighton's hitting shots, what do we have to do to hang with them in a, if, if it gets to be where it's going to be a high-scoring game? Uh, simply don't turn the ball over 20 <laughs> times. I think yeah. if you can avoid the turnovers and play – efficient half-court offense it doesn't necessarily have to be the prettiest thing but really if we've seen the first two games you have or the first three games you have individual players that can make things happen we've seen Davion yeah. Harmon late in shot clock we've seen Puff Isaacs Jalen Tyson's hit a number of contested shots like I'm not worried about the shot making of this team but you've got to get a shot off first and you have to at least make them somewhat efficient looks and so I think what that consists of is playing a patient but efficient style of offense. So you're not wasting time per se, but you're also making sure that you get to the right shot and continuing to utilize the ball movement. Because I feel like we've seen it at various points this season quite quite a lot of good half-court offense stemming from just efficient ball movement. And I think if you can avoid making an ISO game, because you know Creighton's not going to isolate like that, I think it gives you enough to maybe be, be able to keep up with them, even if they have a really hot shooting night. And again, just avoiding beating yourself offensively. Do yeah. not turn the ball over too many times and you should have a chance to at least try to get what you want to offensively. And if the shots are falling, they are falling, but you have to be able to at least get yourself to that point. Yeah. All right. So a lot of Maui talk there, a lot of Creighton. How do you think the first game works out? Are we going into the winner side of the bracket after this game? I'm going to take them to win. I think All Tech right. has right. <laughs> I think Tech has enough talent offensively to be able to win if it gets down to kind of a late game offensive shootout. I think defensively you have Daniel Bacho, who's probably going to be one of the best defenders Cockburner has to face all season long. Yeah. And 
I've really just got faith that at the end of the day, this game kind of, it's as much about just seeing what your guys can do in a pressure situation. You've been in a loss that game that kind of came down to the wire a little bit, but at the same time, like, it's also a game that you never really had that, that much doubt about. Whereas this game, you're coming into it, Creighton's coming into it. Neither of the teams have been really tested. We haven't seen Creighton have to face tough competition. And I think Tech has enough talent offensively. They've got Davion Harmon. You have Pop Isaacs at the guard positions. I think that might be a slight weakness for Creighton is Nimhar defensively against a guy like Davion Harmon. I think as well as that offensively, in theory, they're not a team that drives a ton, which should favor you over another team or other teams that can take advantage of guys like Pop on the defensive side of things. They're not a team that gets the foul line a lot. So in theory, if you play a smart style of basketball, you're not putting yourself in too much foul trouble. And they're not an elite three-point shooting team, at least off the basis of what we have so far and off of the historical tendencies of the guys on the roster. You would say that they have a couple of really, really good shooters in Shireman and Farabello, and maybe you could debate between the merits of um, Alexander being a great shooter as well, but they're not guys that are going to be like, outside of Shireman and Farabello, they're not guys that are going to be those 45, 50% three-point shooters. So if they're going to outshoot you, it's going to be an outlier night where they're shooting 45%, which again, if that happens, yeah, probably lose. Yeah, but yeah. You can't just go into it expecting, hey, they're going to have outlier shooting nights. So right. I've got faith in Tech in this one. I think that it's this Creighton team has a lot of talent. They return a lot of talent from last year. But at the same time, this is also a type of team that is not unlike an average, just slightly above average tier Big 12 team. Like if you look at the analytics, they would say in terms of tier ranking Kim Palm, this is a game Tech is either slightly favored in or slightly trail or slightly underdogs in. You look at last year's Creighton team, they were finished outside the top 50 in T-rank. Like, this is not a Creighton team that, on paper, is top 10, like, the ranked. And maybe they end up that way at the end of the year. But right now, like, you go off of what you have, and I would say that this is a game that Tech can pretty easily win. And I feel like matchup-wise, match up pretty well. So I'll take Tech to win this one, even if it's a little bit sketchy to pick, knowing just how right. well Creighton sh- could shoot if it's their day. Well, that makes me feel a lot better that, that yes. you're still going with the Red Raiders uh, tomorrow. Um, let's kind of talk a little bit more about the Maui. Now we're not going to break down the rest of the tournament. I know you did that on uh, with Taco and Tech, and but we're just kind of focus on Texas Tech's journey here. Uh, so question. So you obviously got us beating Creighton Monday. Over under one and a half wins for the Red Raiders in Maui, what would you take? So on Taco and Tech, I picked one win, and I picked it against Creighton. But yeah. then I had Tech losing to Arkansas. Awesome. I had them losing to Arizona. I'm going to stick with that, which makes okay. the answer to the question being under. But I'll preface this by saying there's also a scenario where you lose to Creighton on game one, beat Louisville yeah. game two, beat Ohio State game three. Suddenly then you have a two and one record. Right, yeah. So I'd say like the first game and how that plays out in the rest of the tournament, how it plays out on the other side of the bracket has a lot to do with how I would predict this because – I think Arkansas and San Diego State are the two best teams in the tournament from my perspective. And I wouldn't take Tech in a straight-up fight against either of them, at least at this point. I think yeah. you have a chance in both games, but I don't think it's going to be easy for you to win those. And then Arizona's kind of a coin flip type of game. The right. other, yeah, and then Creighton, same sort of deal. I'd say kind of like a 50-50. And then the other three are, yeah, Ohio State, Cincinnati, Arkansas, I would say all games you'd be favored to some degree. And so it all kind of depends on who you end up matching up against at the end of the bracket. But I'm just going to go with what I say. I'll give me the under as much as that pains me to say. But I think a win over Creighton kind of offsets that. Right. I agree. I agree. Dustin, yeah, question to you. What What do you got for this uh, tournament? Yeah, you know, I'll be the, the hopeful optimist here and take that over. Um, I don't think we're going to go win the whole damn thing. Um, but I'll take two wins somehow um, on either side of this bracket, kind of like Emory just broke down. We can do it on the loser's side. I'd rather win the first game um, than whether we get to that third-place game or runner-up. Um, that's okay, but I think two wins is definitely doable for this. Yeah. I'm kind of with Emory where I think if, like, if we beat Creighton, I think it's one because I, I don't think we – I don't. I, it would just kind of shock me if we beat Arkansas. Sure. Um, and and – 
but I would be really happy to be on the winner's bracket side. But if we're on the losing side of game one, I think, you know, obviously Louisville is off to a brutal start this season. So I feel comfortable saying that we can get that win and then I'll take my chances in the, in the, you know, uh, consolation championship game against whoever's over there. So I think, I think we're going to lose the Creighton though. So, but uh, I'm going to go with two in the losers bracket side, two wins over there. So over, but not on the right side of the bracket. So, uh, you know, take that with what you want. So Emery, what do you, once Maui's all over with, what, would be a successful trip to you if we do so certain things? I think you either have to win one of the big games, so to speak, be Craven in day one, or for whatever reason, if you somehow end up facing Arkansas on day two, if hell freezes over and Louisville beats Arkansas on day one, or if an Arizona or San Diego State loses in their two, first two games and ends up playing you in day three. Point is, you want to in this weekend or this week with at least one quad one win. I think that's kind of the tangible side of things. Be play close in all three of your games. Don't get blown out. That just kind of gives a bad message. And I think the biggest like intangible thing is I just want to see how the rotation looks at the end of the week. If you can make significant progress forward with a guy like Lamar Washington and feel confident with an eight man rotation heading into the Georgetown game, I feel like you feel pretty good about this team. Even if it only results in one win, maybe two wins. If you can play these high-level teams, get a win or two, show off kind of the potential of the team and learn a lot about how you're going to run the rotation, get some guys some experience, I think you consider that a win. And, I mean, best-case scenario, win the whole tournament, you know, everything's good. You shoot up to the top ten, all those good things. Well, unless unless you're Jeff Unless you're Jeff Goodman, and then you just don't have tech in your rankings. But, yeah, top ten. You win everything, you're in the top ten. But I think, realistically, just winning a game or two, yeah. putting up some good tape, learning a lot about your rotation, I think you can call that a successful trip to Maui. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, this question might be a little bit difficult, but uh, it's something that I think I used to listen to Rosillo and uh, when he had Canel on, they would do, like, predict the storylines after the NFL week or whatever. I, I think this like is kind of – I think it's kind of a fun question, but, you know, kind of like the Pop Isaacs was the storyline after after Louisiana Tech. Predict a couple storylines that you think might be after the Maui Invitational is completed uh, for Texas Tech Red Raiders. Narratives will be formed about Daniel Bakshow, and they will yeah. be good narratives. Yeah. I think we're going to see game one against Ryan Kalkburner. I have a good feeling that we, this is the Daniel Bakshow game part whatever, and we see – Maybe a career high in points, a good rebounding showing. He shuts him down defensively. Maybe not six blocks like we saw in the last game. Right. Still <laughs> a lot to like about it. I think Bacho's performance will be a storyline. How Davion Harmon reacts as a point guard over the three-game stretch in Maui. And how do the freshmen do? Do we see Lamar Washington and Elijah Fisher in the rotation? My hunch says at least one of them has rotation minutes. Um, and does Pop Isaac still start? Does he still get consistent minutes does he still turn the ball over does viva still tweet about him etc etc all of those stuff i think we'll get we'll see what the answers are after this week or after this week yeah i think it the storylines are how the freshmen played and yeah they get to write that you know because this is their first taste of big boy d1 basketball not playing these you know little little buy games at home um so how how can they respond to bigger, better talent that you might see come March. Yeah, I like the Bacho prediction. I think, like, we've obviously seen him do pretty good here at the start, but now up in the competition, like, if he has a really good tournament, like, he could turn some heads and definitely definitely be the talk of of Texas Tech after this. And also, like, Harmon there, you know, one of the big things last year, and it's something that we've talked about several times, is the lack of a point guard last season and having a guy who can – be a true point guard for you we're already seeing it pay off so far so i think that'd be another really good prediction is is uh if Harmon, you know comes up big for you in multiple spots and just kind of seeing what that can do uh for you but i thought that would be a fun little question to throw yeah. on just predict hopefully there's not a whole lot of bad tweets out there hopefully it's all good things <laughs> <laughs> well, don't so. react to anything people um yeah. last thing i'm kind of get you out of here on this just general season look ahead for you, Emery. Um, 
after these first three games, have your preseason thoughts or expectations changed, stayed the same, gotten better um, with just being a couple weeks in? I'd say they've stayed about the same. I mean, you look at this team, we knew it would be kind of a little bit tough to get the, get things going just with how many music moving pieces there are. Like, I mean, you've only got three returners from last year, only one guy that was consistently in the rotation yeah. for the whole season. Like, that's going to take a toll on any team. You look back at the 2019 team, made the, NCAA, the uh, Final Four in the championship game. Like, yes, they only returned – uh, a few rotation members from the 2018 Elite Eight team, but you still had guys that played significant minutes. Yeah. You still had Jared Culver coming back. You still had Brandon Francis on the rotation, Norman Sodiase, et cetera, et cetera. Now, this team has one guy. Like, Kevin O'Banner was the only guy on this team that every single game last year you could say was in the rotation. And Bacho had some good minutes, but at the same time, it wasn't like the um, – it wasn't like everything went – according to plan at all times for him last season. So there's going to be some rough patches with this team, but I think at the end of the day, there's a lot of talent on the roster. This is still, to me, a second weekend type of team. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Actual result may vary. You might end up losing round one. You might end up making the final four and some kind of fluky run. But I think right. all things considered, getting a top five seed, making it to the second weekend, all of those things are still within reach and still something I would say I'm not adjusting my expectation until I see otherwise. But with that said, this weekend Maui is going to give a much better indication as to what the quality of this team is. Because you come out here, you win the whole tournament, suddenly you're like, oh, wow, this is a team that contends for a championship. You drop all three games, suddenly you're like, okay, how many wins do we need for the NIT type of deal? But hopefully that's not the case. I think as of now, I'm going to lean with the same preseason prediction of Tech making the second weekend, being something like a four or five seed and just leading at bats. And, and just kind of curious where he had us fallen in the Big 12 and kind of some of the stuff we've seen happen with other Big 12 teams. If any of that's kind of changed, <laughs> maybe you have us finishing higher because TCU's struggles to the start of the year, uh, they were picked in front of us. Or, you know, even Baylor dropped the game to – I mean, Virginia's a pretty good, solid team, so that's nothing to, like, you know, hang your head over too much. But – Stuff you've seen from the Big 12, has that kind of reshaped where you think Tech falls in line? I think at the end of the day, I have Tech being probably like a fourth or fifth in the Big 12. I felt yeah. like that was kind of realistic before the season. Yeah. As much as I hate to admit it, Texas's roster is yeah. probably a little bit ahead of Tech's in terms of development. And we'll see what happens, what Beard can do with them down there, what kind of shenanigans happens this season. But certainly... So far, they look good, and bringing in a guy like um, like Tyrese Hunter was a big deal for them. And I'd say they're in the top three. I'd say Kansas is in the top three. I think they were still the favorite in the, in the conference for me. So those three I still think are still a tier above Tech. And then I'm going to put Tech ahead of TCU. I'm refusing to completely sell all the stock on TCU because I yeah. do think that they have they returned literally everyone outside of Farabello and they have a lot of talent on the roster. We've also seen their struggles early have come without Damian Ball and you've had Mike Miles missing a game or two, but it's not ideal to see them losing to Northwestern State. Nope. And then Oklahoma has struggled, Oklahoma State has struggled, Kansas State has looked decent, I would say. West Virginia's looked better than expected. The mid, mid part of the Big 12, as always, it's going to be a grind every single night. But yeah. I'd say Tech has a chance to finish in the top half for sure. Things go right, you develop better than expected. Maybe you're talking about finishing in the top three. But I think as of now, fourth or fifth would be probably the most realistic prediction. Yeah, I think that's where we had us at the beginning of the season. I think that's where I'd have us right now. Well, that's all the questions that we got for you today, pretty solid hour discussion uh, with all this. So Emery, thanks for taking some time out of your Sunday evening uh, to talk with us before you hop on out of here, make sure you let everybody know how to follow you, uh, what you're doing with the nation and just kind of any other little tidbits you want to throw out to the listeners. Yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter at Emery light of 41 and you'll be seeing quite a bit of my work on the nation. Uh, obviously with, Twitter stuff at Guns Up Nation. You can find a lot of work on the site as well. I'm going to be posting a few basketball articles in the near future, doing pregame notes, and then in the future as well, 
going to be hopping on to some of the other podcasts within the network, as well as that hosting Twitter spaces is something that I've got awesome. coming up yeah. in the future. Stay tuned for that. A lot of exciting stuff coming up. It's very excited to be part of the brand. But yeah, I mean, for now on Twitter at EmeryLight of 41, you can see all my hot takes, whether it be about tech or anything else. And yeah, that's about it. Awesome. Yeah, make sure you go give him a follow. Uh, we love talking basketball on this pod, so it's awesome to have, uh, you know, you join the nation. And and uh, we'll hopefully have you on multiple times this season to kind of discuss what we're seeing and now how things shape out. Uh, as the second season of the Mark Adams era is going. Uh, so once again, thanks, Emery. We appreciate it. Yeah, of course, guys. Thank you for having me on. Thanks, man. Well, that will do it for our Texas Tech basketball and our little Maui Invitational preview. We appreciate Emery hopping on. Lots of good stuff from him. Lots of good information. Uh, was really fun listening to him. Uh, break down everything from what he's seen so far this season to uh, the Creighton Blue Jays, who we're set to tip off with, uh, hopefully before you're listening to this. Um, uh, but again, that'll do it for us in this episode. Catch our episode later on this week, where we will be recapping the thrilling win over Iowa State uh, and previewing our upcoming final game of the season against Oklahoma. To make sure you catch that, you got to follow us. Follow us on Apple and on Spotify. If you listen to us on Apple, give us that review. Uh, give us five stars, five stars for the tailgate. You can do that both on Apple and Spotify. Also, follow us. Uh, Twitter has not crashed just yet, so we are still there at tailgate underscore talks on Twitter. Also on Instagram and Facebook. And we also have a YouTube channel where we will post this interview uh, with Emery as well as some you know other clips from each week's shows. Uh, Thanks for listening to our little basketball preview. Uh, And as always, we will catch y'all at the next. Peace.